You're listening to the Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast. Here's the deal. If you make disciples by sitting around and talking, you shouldn't be surprised when your disciples sit around and talk and talk and talk. This is the podcast for those weary of just talking and ready to start activating in the mission Jesus gave us to change the world. The Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast, where disciples and disciple makers gather to grow and go together. Here's your host, Dr. Matt Friedemann. Well, hey, dear friends, so good to have you with us today. Remember now, the place for a man, for a woman completing all their powers is in the fight. And right now, today, making disciples of the nations. So stay tuned, stay encouraged. We have a rendezvous with destiny. Man, I'm really excited about my guest today. He's a great friend. He's actually a former student, uh, but I consider him more of a colleague on all things that we do together. Uh, He's written a bang-up book about the church after COVID, and it contains a lot of really great insights you and I can benefit from. So we're going to get to all of that right after this. One of the sponsors of our program today is Wesley Biblical Seminary. Now, folks, I've taught here in this school for 33 years, one of the best seminaries in the world, and a place where you can come and check out the various wonderful things we can offer you. There's our lay program called the Wesley Institute. There's our undergraduate program. Yep, we got a college. You need to discover more about that college. And we got a master's program, in fact, several of them, and even a doctorate program called a D-Min. Really, it's something for all serious disciples. So you need to check us out at wbs.edu. Yep, that's wbs.edu. Now, a little bit of history here before we get to our guest. Uh, There were two great plagues that happened in early Christianity. One swept the empire in uh, the year 165. Another swept the empire, and we're talking about the Roman Empire, in 251. When that happened, mortality rates climbed higher than 30%. Now, during this era of COVID, we talk in terms of one out of 500 or one out of 800 or one out of 1,000 dying. But get a load of this, one out of three were dying in 165 and 251, respectively. Uh, pagans at that point tried to avoid all contact with the afflicted. They, they often casted them into the gutters. But the Christians began running to those gutters, and they would nurse the sick, even though some believers died doing so. But that's what we were always all about. We ran to the sound of the pain. Now it seems like we're kind of trying to run for cover, and it kind of worries me a little bit, and maybe we were doing it long before COVID ever hit. Who knows? We'll have our guest right now talk to us about that. Let me introduce you to Stuart Kellogg. He's a graduate of Syracuse University and Wesley Biblical Seminary, where I teach. He's a retired television executive. He launched the Post-COVID Church Project, which includes, by the way, a website, Facebook page, podcast app, and a YouTube channel. And he did this in the spring of 2020. He and his wife, Beth, have two children and four grandchildren, and they now live in Fairhope, Alabama. Check out this website, thepostcovidchurch.com, thepostcovidchurch.com. Stuart, welcome to the broadcast. Thanks, Matt. It's great to be here. Great to uh, be back together. Yeah, it's so very good to have you with us. Let me just say, uh, great book. Enjoy it. Thank you. Uh, I haven't read it word for word, but it's the kind of book, I think, uh, for a pastor like me to want to glean from to get all kinds of wonderful insights, and I'm looking forward to it. Well, great. That, that's the idea. The, the, the target audience, uh, pastors and lay leaders and, and those yeah. who are just interested in, in making sure that 
the church moves forward. Tell me what you think has happened, just generally speaking. We're going to get into this in the next few minutes, but just generally speaking, what has happened to the church during COVID? I think it depends on the church, and, and I, I saw, right, as everything was uh, happening in the spring of 2020, really churches being one or the other. They were either what I, I termed a turtle church. They hunkered down um, in fear, closed down programs, waiting for normal to return. And then there were the churches that saw this as the opportunity uh, to be disciples and the opportunity to serve and to reach out um, and also reach their own members and to do some very creative things. It didn't seem to be any church in the middle. And uh, as I saw and got frustrated seeing what churches weren't doing and then really inspired but by what uh, churches were doing, it uh, got me into, into the pro program to say, look, let me put this project together, share with folks. And uh, I just want to shout out Joe Stradinger, who uh, lives in Ridgeland. Edge Theory is his company. And he and I hadn't talked in, I think, five years. And I called him. I said, I've written this article. And he said, well, that's fine. Somebody will read it and that'll be that. He said, you know, you need to get on a social media. So he helped me get on the Facebook and, and, and do the uh, group, Facebook group, and then uh, built uh, Matt Ayers from uh, Wesley Biblical Seminary. He helped me build the website. And, and uh, uh, Brad McMullen uh, gave me the, uh, the app, his Buy From a Christian. Uh, so all these folks helping me. Uh, expand and kept moving forward and well, okay, with the ideas. Turtle, yeah, you talk about Turtle Church. Now, uh, tell me the percentage of churches that you suspect were Turtle Churches. In other words, they're trying to get inside their shell. They're trying to protect themselves from whatever evil disease there is out there. Uh, what kind of percentage are we talking about here? I don't have the firm data on that, but I would guess uh, certainly more than half. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Way more and than so that. probably three out of four, uh, but yeah, just based on, on what I'd seen, you know. Well, so you talk about a church in accelerated change. In fact, you said the American church was already sick long before COVID-19 <laughs> came ashore, turned our world upside down. So what do you mean by the American church is not well? Well, I think if you look at the, the data, and, and I talked to George Barna, he's in, everyone knows, the most quoted man in the church, as, as they say, and he's been studying uh, Christians in the church for goodness, uh, two generations. And as he put it so well, when you just look at the data, as far as attendance, as far as Orthodox belief, as far as uh, Christian worldview, uh, and, uh, all those trends were going downward. Um, even things such as attendance, uh, weekly attendance. Um, and when you look at beliefs, when you look at, for example, we're up to now, uh, one out of four Americans has no religious um, affiliation. All those trends were happening well before COVID came, and that has accelerated it. And when you look, for example, uh, the Barna study, um, just a couple months after all this happened, one out of three uh, Christians quit attending in person or online. One out of three. Um, so it just accelerated uh, what was already happening, including the influence uh, in the culture. Now, there's some people out there say, yeah, one out of three, whatever, but they're going to come back. Stuart, are they going to come back? I don't think so. And and most folks I talk to who knew this say, no, the silver lining is from, from folks that I speak in, such as Mike Craven uh, from the Colson Center, is it's going to be smaller, but a much more uh, influential and powerful church uh, because it's going to be harder <laughs> to do. You're going to have to really believe what you're doing. And so 
uh, perhaps, or the hope is, the church, yes, it'll be smaller, but it'll have greater influence. You know, we had technology today. We're on technology right now, Stuart, and you've dealt with technology your whole life as a television executive. But we had the technology to stream services. Did that help? Did that save the church or not? Oh, absolutely. And I thought about that saying, what if this all happened a generation ago? You know, oh my gosh, how would we have uh, connected? And uh, so it absolutely did. And the estimates are 85 to 90% of the churches went online in some way. The barrier to entry is so small. You just need a phone, (laughs) Facebook. It doesn't even cost much to have something on there. And so most folks quickly pivoted to do at least that. And of course, some already were doing it. Uh, So that was a real lifesaver to say, hey, we're going to stay connected that way. Unfortunately, so many just stopped there. And 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 one of the interesting things that came out when you talk about old time technology, you know, some of the the churches, uh, they got together and they said to the staff and lay leaders, we're touching every member of the church. They called every member just to see how they're doing, just to stay in touch. And I was astounded at how few churches actually did that. Uh, but those, again, that were creative, were, were using old technology just to just to stay connected. Well, I know old technology works actually maybe even better than the new technology because it gets <laughs> you person to person. That'd yes. be a telephone. And uh, it's not a bad tool for ministry. That's for sure. You're right. Exactly. Let me ask you, though, you, you we talked to you got a chapter here talking about leadership running towards the roar, R-O-A-R, roar. What's running towards the roar mean? Yeah, it really means not, it means going to it. And John Robertson gave me that quote. And, you know, the, the whole idea saying you are, uh, you're not, if he used the analogy of the, the hunting party, you know, you hear the roar and you, you go away from it, where he's, he's saying Swartman goes towards it if you're a hunter, because that's where, that's where uh, you know, uh, where you're, you're trying to hunt. So the same way you're leaning in or going towards what the challenge is. Uh, and, and I love the term leaning in and what you just used that example from, from the plague and Chuck Colson uses that in the faith, you know, the church, that's where the church, the people saw these Christians going towards helping strangers who had these horrible diseases, some getting the disease themselves. And they said, what's going on here? You know, they were running towards the roar and fulfilling, uh, that great commission in a very hands-on way. And I, and I think that's what the those churches that are uh, going to make the the biggest difference uh, are doing, continue to do. Yeah, and I love that running towards your, what, what we've used in our church is running to the sound of the pain. Uh, and, and where there is pain in your culture, where there is hurt, where there is need, you need to get there. But but Stuart, not many churches are doing that, are they? No, and that's one of the things that was surprising. Some were just, again, holding on, uh, hoping things would get better. It, it was interesting that so many uh, didn't even connect with their own members, much less, uh, you know, reaching out. And, and I love uh, uh, Bill Wilson, the Center for Healthy Churches, uh, used the quote when we talked about it. He said, there's never been a better time to be a church. And I use that quote throughout. I mean, that's counterintuitive, but his point is, this is what we're here for. This is what we're, uh, what we are here and made for. But it means thinking differently and acting differently and, and being more proactive. Yeah. Proactive indeed. Hey, one of the guys you have in here is our friend, uh, Dan Hall, who says my number one job <laughs> as a pastor is not to minister. Hey, please explain. 
<laughs> I love that. He said, look, they don't hire me for that. We're all to be ministers. Yes, I'm here. I can help teach. I can guide. I can disciple. But we are all to be ministers. And and Tia Moore from Fellowship of the Alba says the same thing. You know, what, what church do you go to? It's not the building. You know, we are the church. Uh, it's it's what we are, as, as you well know. Um, and, and, but I love that, that, uh, it's similar to the, to another quote in there, uh, from Robert Hahn from the Chesapeake church. He says, if you aren't going to serve, this church isn't for you. I mean, he has a sign that says that to visitors who come in. So it's that thinking, it's a different thinking. As Dan said, I'm not just here to feed you. You're expected to do something. We're talking today with Stuart Kellogg. He has a brand new book out called The Post-COVID Church. Also, uh, you've got a lot of other ways you can uh, uh, come into grips with his ministry. Website, Facebook page. Uh, check out, by the way, the website, thepostcovidchurch.com. And uh, listen, uh, Stuart, there's all kinds of really great things in this volume. Uh, one of the ones, uh, just I'm really interested in kind of feasting on your mind here, though, in a more general sense. When you look at the post-COVID church, what are the, let's, let's go over three. What are three things we really need to do to be better moving forward? Uh, just three, huh? Okay, let's keep it to three. <laughs> yes, I think that's a great question. The number one, and this came out, and this is a bit of a pet focus of mine, but it also came out when I talked to so many uh, leadership folks and pastors is engaging the laity. You know, this idea of we're the staff, we do everything. Uh, you know, listen to us or the, or the folks in the pews saying you're here to serve us. You know, uh, this fact of this is what a better time to engage the laity, use the, ta- I call it talent in the pews um, to fulfill uh, the great commission for the discipleship and to, to do these things. In other words, to break down uh, those barriers. And that takes a different mindset. You're a pastor, Matt, um, you know, you've been around long enough. Uh, a lot of folks don't want to hear that. Um, they're, they're threatened by that. Um, but I think that's the number one thing. So engaging the laity and I think reorganizing what are folks doing? This is the time as, as any business would go through a, a horrible disruption. It's when you stop, a strong leader stops, steps back and says, wait a second, what are we doing? What, what are the jobs that are people doing? Maybe, maybe we need to change what folks are doing from a staff uh, point of view, I think. And, and I think the, the whole idea of, I think this is the perfect time to look at what do people believe and can they defend what they believe? I call it the Christian worldview, the biblical worldview. Um, do people really understand what they believe and c- can they defend the faith? And I think this is the time, especially because the culture is increasingly antagonistic uh, towards traditional Christian beliefs, where the believers have to be able to um, winsomely, lovingly and uh, defend the faith and explain the faith. Let's go back to number one, the laity. A good bit of that, I think, Stu, you tell me if I'm wrong, is what we measure matters. And if we measure simply people in the pew, that's going to hurt us when something like this happens. But if we measure number of people out there that are actually touching lives and the number of lives we're touching outside the four walls of the church, that's a much better measurement. That's a better measurement of the church than is simply how much money we're taking in, uh, the size of the building, how many people we have in worship service. I mean, what we measure matters. It does. And George Barna brings that up. And and that's, that's a key point of our discussion that we had. And, 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 you know, that was, uh, again, he's researches, he has all that, 
prescription. He said that that's one of the problems, and it starts at the top from the pastors. They're measuring the wrong things. They're measuring attendance or giving or square footage. And he said the things, the, th- the key thing is lives transform. You know, is discipleship happening a very one-on-one basic? And, and that's a critical thing of what we're measuring. What are we here for? Uh, Kelly Canwisher, who's with the Future Church, you know, she, I quoted her in there, and one of her key things is too many churches, everything's focused on what's going to happen Sunday, and everything builds up to this thing Sunday. And uh, as she says, you got it backwards. That's not what the church is about. That's not what it's only about, in other words. You, you mentioned uh, our worldview and uh, what we believe, uh, and I, I happen to know because I'm, I'm a friend of yours. You've been passionate about that for a long time. Just how bad is it out there as to what we can and cannot affirm considering biblical orthodoxy? Are we, are we in line? Are we in tune? Or are we just lost? Lost. And, and it's gotten worse. And I had the privilege because of you, Matt, after I graduated from Wesley, you said you've got to go study under Chuck Colson. And, and you encouraged me to apply to that program. And I had that um, opportunity to do that back in, in oh, about 15 years ago. And that opportunity to study under Chuck Colson as part of the Colson Center for Worldview, as it's now called, just opened my eyes again to this whole idea of, of Christianity, like any worldview, it's the lens through which you look at the world and look at everything. And just here's some facts uh, from George Barn is now at Arizona Christian uh, University and did a survey. And just to, uh, to answer your question, all right, these are folks who attend evangelical churches. So this isn't the main line and all the evangelical churches. A half, when asked, said eternal salvation is earned. Okay. Is that a little counter, do you think? Um, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's uh, uh, definitely headed the wrong way. Okay. A third said it was okay uh, for a woman to have an abortion if it's a burden on her, on the mother. Yeah. Um, and, and half of the evangelicals rejected the concept of, that there is an absolute moral truth. So there you go. Those are three data points right there to say uh, very much lost. Yeah. Now, George Barna is George Barna. That's the big timer. But I will critique his research, and I think he does too, actually, uh, as it started rolling along, because he was getting critiques on, listen, you say you're interviewing born-again Christians right now, but that's self-identified born-again Christians and not really church attenders. And that's kind of harder data to get. Let's well, say you, you're yeah, born-again Christian. Is, yeah, uh, but this point. this data this data point was members of evangelical churches. So he didn't yeah, even no, go. That's, yeah, that mm-hmm. that's meaningless too if you're not going to church. I mean, well, th- that's right. what I want to know is the the person that's going to church three times a month. What do they believe? But you know, honestly, uh, Stu, I don't think that's going to be very great either. Well, and I believe just and I'd have to look at I believe it was attending and I believe he put it at twice a month, but it may have been once a month. But in any case, yeah, and a lot of it for his, you know, famously, he says there's only about six out of 100 uh, Christians have a Christian worldview. Well, it's a pretty strict definition from his point of view. So you're right on surveys, you get all that. But I think the general consensus is um, uh, as far as traditional biblical understanding is um, is waning. Even in the well, the reason I bring church. that up is simply if indeed COVID has uh, been a disincentive to people to go to the church and only the really, I don't know, discerning, caring, hey, I'm going to go, that's my church, no matter what, those are the people that you're left with in the church. My hunch is 
our orthodoxy inside the church may not have been stronger for the last 30 years because of that. Yes, absolutely. And I don't goes. know. I, mm-hmm. I'd just be interested to know. I, now, listen, one of the chapter five of your book is we've got an image problem in the church. What are you talking about image problem? Well, and, and I get people get upset at me at this and, and I've always said it. I mean, the biggest issue and I go through for some history about what happened in America, you know, politically. But right now, you know, evangelical, uh, when you say that uh, to so, so many is a political world word. Um, I I Put it back to 2004, a time when when the the Bush for re-election president Bush the son, uh, you know, really uh, Carl Rove and all decided to make the evangelical church a wing of the party, and and it had always you know been that way because it was conservative, but it it got so political, and now we're at such a point where it is so political, you end up um, uh, with with a bad brand, if you will. Because those outside the church, those outside the evangelical world, just look at it and say, "Hey, it's just a it's it's politics and it's it's not faith." And I think that came from people refusing to stand up to truth to power. I don't care what your party is, and this is on either side saying, "No, this is wrong." You know, uh, whether it's a, a stance like abortion or a stance like immorality, or you know, those who who criticize President Clinton. Uh, you know, because what happened there sexually, but they turned a blind eye when their own senator did the same thing. And I'm hitting very close to home in Mississippi there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Well, and with the, the president of the United States uh, of recent vintage, uh, not the current one, but we, we've got, I guess we're identified with a political party too often. Uh, and we are thought of perhaps less because of that. But what do you do about that? Because, Stuart, we want Christians to be politically involved in as much as they vote. They take these issues, moral issues seriously, cultural issues seriously. How do you walk that line? We don't want to be identified as a one-party group of people, nor do we want to be identified as political on everything we do. But we want to be politically involved in impacting the culture at these very, very strong points of divisiveness in our culture. Yeah, and I think the church had a chance to do that uh, with the last president. I mean, just, and you saw that from some like Russell Moore and what happened to him to stand up and say, these are wrong. Yeah, I may like his, his policies, but, you know, this action or how this is not Christian action. But you had those who were afraid to do it and afraid to be called or afraid that, you know, the church members wouldn't, wouldn't give money or they'd be run out of town. And I think that whole idea of speaking truth to power and standing up and doing that um, same, and I'll use an idea right now, for example, with, with the whole concept of critical race theory, and, and, and it is, I believe, counter to, to biblical idea of justice. So you have that discussion, but you also as a church, you know, we still are at that point. Why, why do we not have black and white congregations at least sitting down and talking about things like that? I mean, that, that's the kind of thing that makes a difference to the world looking in and uh, makes it a little harder to critique if you're looking to, to solve problems. And not We're afraid to, to speak. Kellogg, uh, author of a brand new book, The Post-COVID Church. Elaine Friedrich is a friend of mine, friend of Stewart's, and uh, I haven't seen her for years and years, decades, really. But this is what she said about it. In the midst of crises lies opportunity. And that's the vision Stuart Kellogg sees, saw as the pandemic began and the whole world changed. We can pretend the world will go back to the time prior to COVID, but that's not where the church needs to be. As faithful believers of the faith, 
that was once delivered to the Saints. We want to move into the next chapter with a game plan. Stuart helps us to begin thinking in that forward direction. Listen, you're talking to a professor right now. You're talking to a pastor and you're talking to thousands of other people through this podcast. Let me ask you, Stuart. So what do we do now in the post-COVID church? I think we, this is the, the, the leadership starts at the top and it's got to stop, start at the top at the church leadership and also lay leadership. There needs to be that connection. I talked about that. And there needs to be a step back and say, where are we going and what will it take? And, and an honest critique when you look at the numbers, such as transform lives, where are we missing the boat? Where are we missing the boat in the community? Why is the community uh, not connecting with us? What can we do that's outside our comfort zone? Um, outside uh, the walls and I, those sorts of things saying, where are the problems? How can we join those who are self solving the problems? Um, and, and I use that example in there. Uh, I use my daughter. That's okay. But uh, she's out in Los Angeles, you know, an evangelical Christian helping uh, save uh, babies and, and, and homeless pregnant women in her organization in the middle of secular Los Angeles, but they are serving a need and they are connecting and building bridges through serving. And, and I think that's the kind of model that it will take, but it, it takes people not afraid that yes, it's going to uh, tick some folks off maybe, but this is what we have to do to, to be that church that makes a difference that thrives and doesn't, doesn't just survive. Yeah. I love, I love the service orientation and, uh, all the better, Stuart, if that service is to the poor, the needy, the diseased, yeah. the hurting. Uh, if we can uh, allow the world to look at us doing those kinds of things over a couple of decades, I think we get a reputation back, and I think we move the Great Commission forward substantially. And I love, Matt, how you, and Matt's in the book, too, at a good part there, like you talk about the, the water going down and, and going to where it's needed, right? And uh, I love that. I love that analogy. Yeah, just simply water goes, you know, down. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Everybody knows that, but so we're water. Let's just call ourselves the water. And that means we're going to go to the lowest places. And uh, I'm going to tell you, it's where the church is called to and where some of us least want to go. And I think Jesus is a great example of saying, yeah, well, let's go anyway. Yeah, and I I love, uh, and maybe a way to, to end this, T.M. Moore, I mentioned before, and he talked about, the uh, the folks looking and wanting to quote go back to normal and, and he looked at all the the data points that we talked about the influence of the church the numbers he said why do we want to go back there <laughs> so this is the opportunity just to say let's go forward let's move forward indeed Stuart Kellogg who's got this book the post COVID church an action plan to thrive not just to survive. All right, it's a wrap. You honor me by listening to Life-Changing Discipleship with Matt Friedemann. Hey, check out our Facebook page called Life-Changing Discipleship and check out our books at Amazon.com. Type in Matt Friedemann, just right there in the search engine, and you're going to see what's offered and pick up some of what's offered. And always, always tell others about our podcast. And remember, my wife thanks you, my daughter thanks you, my sons and their wives thank you, and I can assure you that I thank you for listening to Life-Changing Discipleship today. Love God, live clean, keep the faith, make disciples, and God bless you, dear friends. We'll see you back here real soon.